Welcome to Heart of Life today. I want to thank you for taking the time to join with us. And uh, for those of you who are joining us online, whether at one of the mission sites or some other circumstance of life, just want to say thanks for being willing to do that. Um, this week I spoke with a lady. Um, she said her life right now, just in terms of work, was just in overdrive, so much demanded from her. And what she said to me um, was, thank you for the online. Please don't stop doing the online. And so I want to say today, thanks to all the people who help make the online work. And my prayer is always, every single week, for people like that lady um, that eventually that season will change for her, that she can be back with God's people because that's the design that God has for us. You know, last year as a church, we walked through a theme for the whole year called the same page. Uh, it was quite a task. We chose to read through the whole Bible. And so every week we would take a chunk of scripture, and I mean it would be multiple chapters that we were reading every week, and then on Sundays I would teach out of some part of all that we had read. When we got to the chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 20 was the text that I felt like I was supposed to teach on. And honestly, out of that text, it set our course for the theme for this year, a theme of nothing to lose, nothing to lose. And I'm going to admit to you that when we chose this theme, I had a pretty good idea. It would probably be one of the least popular themes that we ever chose I knew that there would be some people who would call it radical, therefore explaining away the need to actually live it out. But it's funny, we, this week in our study for this year, we have returned to Acts chapter 20. And so I, I want to show you again, I want to highlight what God highlighted in my heart last year that led us to this place. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, this is what the Apostle Paul says, however, I consider my life worth what? Nothing. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Here's what Paul says. There is a race that is so worth running that it would be better for me to run it and die than to not run it and claim that I ever lived. Now, how in the world could there be such a race? And the answer is because this race leads to a love that is better than anything. 
Even the psalmist declared, better than life. This love is better than anything. At this point in Paul's ministry, he is no longer simply trying to stay alive. He's trying to stay on track. Because he has been called to a race. He has been called to a mission that is so worth running. The context of what we're going to study today is the Apostle Paul's very last visit with the believers at Ephesus, a church where he stayed for like three years. Now, I want to show you this real quick again. I showed you the map last week, but I I, I want to show it to you again because I think it kind of helps most of us to get a visual on this. Here's Ephesus. So it was born there, Paul, the church started in his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, that's where he stays for three years. Paul wants to go back to Jerusalem, but first he wants to go through Macedonia and Achaia, and we know the reason is he wants to collect an offering there that he's going to bring back to the poorest of the believers in Jerusalem. So that's what's happened in our story today. He he has left Ephesus. He made this loop. And now he ends up back at this little place called Miletus, which is about 30 miles away from Ephesus. And so he calls for the leaders of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. And today I want you to see a part of what he said to them. Look at verse 25, Acts chapter 20. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He knows this is the last time they're ever going to see each other. Therefore, he knows these are last words. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but last words tend to be significant words. Because when you know you're speaking last words, you tend to get to the most important stuff. Now, I want to be clear today. I hope these are not my last words to you, either because of you or because of me. My hope is to do this until I am old enough that it is time for me to pass this part of responsibility on to someone else. But even when that day comes, which I hope is many, many years into the future, my dream is not to sail off into the sunset. My heart, I want it to stay on track with the mission of God. But when Paul speaks these words... It represents the heart of a shepherd. It represents the heart of a pastor. And it kind of gives us this inside peek into what matters most to us. Again, these are last words. Like, why is it that we do some of the things that we as shepherds do and in turn how this affects our soul and how it affects our life. I think I have preached Acts chapter 20 to you 
at least three times over the 20 plus years that I've had the privilege of speaking to you. But I have never ever done it from the angle that I'm gonna do it today. Paul gets very personal in this text. And today, I'm going to take him up on that example, and I'm going to take the opportunity to do a little bit of the same. For people who think there's no place for personal testimony or personal experience or personal feelings on the part of a, of a preacher or a teacher, right? There are some folks who will say, just teach the text and keep yourself out of it. Well, you're going to have to rip Acts chapter 20 out of your Bible. Because Paul gets incredibly personal here. I want you to notice what he says. And remember, it's the last time. Verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. That's weird language. I I am innocent of the blood of any of you. That sounds weird, but it's important to know here that when Paul is using this language, he's not using the word blood to talk about physical blood. He is talking about eternal death. That's what he's talking about. And the reason I know that is because when we go back into the book of Acts, we find that definition given. One of the great principles when you're studying the Bible and you come to a text and you don't know exactly what it means is, is there anything else within that book? Is there anything else within the Bible that uses that similar language that can help us know what it means? Well, when we back up to Acts chapter 18 in, the, in, in, in our study, it's the church at Corinth, and Paul is speaking to the Jewish community there who has rejected the news of Jesus. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 18, verse 6. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Similar language. What what is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about them physically dying. He's talking about the consequences of them rejecting the good news of Jesus. This is about eternal life or eternal death. That's what this is about. If we back up even further into Acts chapter 13, it happens again. This time at a place called Antioch in in Pisidia. The Jews are rejecting the message. And this is what Paul says in verse 46. It's recorded, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, speaking to the Jews, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of what? Eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. When when Paul uses this kind of language, he's talking about a rejection of eternal life, the eternal life that Jesus offers. Two parallel passages in Acts confirm it. Here's what he's saying. 
If you lose eternal life, it will not be my fault. That's what he's saying. I'm innocent. Now, I want us to realize what that means. It means it is possible for us to be innocent or guilty of another person's lostness. If it doesn't mean that, then what Paul is saying means nothing. He's saying, I am innocent of this for you. Here's the point. If we don't tell someone what they need to know about Jesus when the Spirit of God has placed us in that circumstance to tell them there is some aspect of that that we're guilty. We're guilty. Now, if you remember back in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul wanted to go into the area of Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit said, not yet, send him somewhere else. Well, Paul at that point would not be guilty of not telling the Ephesians because God had not led him to that place to be able to share. But now when we arrive at this place, Paul knows he's in Ephesus because his life is dedicated to a mission of declaring the good news of Jesus. And he wants to make sure that they all hear and they all know. You are not responsible for every neighborhood or for every road, right? Some of you live on roads. You don't live on, in neighborhoods. You're, you're not responsible for all of them. But are you telling me that you believe that God has led you to the one where you live and that that's not a part of the mission to which he has called you? You need to go back to Acts chapter 17 and, and, and read what we learned there, that where we end up, where we live, it is not by accident. It is a God's design because he loves this world and he places you where he places you, puts you in a neighborhood, puts you on a particular road because a part of your life mission is to declare this good news in the territory in which he has placed you. I want to be innocent as a shepherd of your eternal death. I I want you to know and love Jesus. I want you to turn to him and find life. But if you don't, there is a consequence And the question is, what do I need to do as a shepherd to be innocent of that? Well, Paul could have said a lot of things next, but I want you to notice what he says. Pick up verse 26 again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Sometimes it's translated the whole counsel of God. And so what Paul said to the Ephesian church a long time ago still rings in the hearts of shepherds and pastors today. It is what we say. This is what I want you to know. 
I want to declare to you the whole counsel of God because I want to be innocent of your eternal death. And you're thinking, man, that's heavy. No, that's what it's about. This is what this whole thing's about. Now, don't, don't misunderstand here. You don't have to know the whole counsel of God to get to heaven. Now, we declare the good news of Jesus, a Jesus who is God, the perfect son who died for sin, rose from the dead. When you repent and turn to God, putting your faith in Jesus, you can know him. You don't have to know the whole counsel of God to get to heaven. But knowing the whole counsel of God is a great help in getting to heaven. That's what Paul is addressing here. Now, we could say a whole bunch on the counsel of God. That could be like a whole series, in fact. But for today's purpose, what what does he mean by that? He means teach all of God's story. Teach it all. Don't leave any of it out. Like, don't, don't leave out the pieces that people think are radical. So, so you just sort of, you know, move toward, toward the rest. No, he's like, teach it all. Man, why would God create this world? Why, right, would man be made in his image? Why would he allow the fall to happen? Why choose Israel? Why the law? Why the sacrifices? Why Jesus? Why the kingdom? Why the cross? Why the resurrection? Why the Holy Spirit? Why the church? And I could go on and on. Tell them the whole story of God. Today, being the fifth Sunday, um, our kids are in with us today, and I'm grateful. But I'm especially grateful today that that means children's teachers get to be in with us today. Because I want to say to the children's teachers at Heart of Life, what you do matters more than you think. There are eternal consequences to what you are willing to give our children. And I am grateful for that. It is bigger than just a song that they learn. It it, it is bigger than than maybe a game that they get to play. It's bigger than an activity that they do. No, no, this, this is we choose curriculum because it teaches the whole counsel of God. And you are willing to deliver that to our kids. And today I am shouting, thank you. Thank you. let's draw a bigger conclusion here. If me not teaching the whole counsel of God is a sin, because that would make me guilty, then you not wanting the whole counsel of God is a sin. The apostle Peter said, when it comes to the will of God, when it comes to the counsel of God, when it comes to God's word, you ought to crave it like a baby craves milk. 
This is what he said, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So let's be clear on this. This, this craving, it's bigger than a sin if you don't have it. He says this is attached to your salvation, right? You craving that milk, it is the evidence that you have tasted the goodness of God. So the question is, if you don't crave it, what does that mean? And I'm telling you, this is the stuff that makes shepherds stay awake at night. This is the stuff. That if craving it is the evidence that you're in, and if you don't crave it, what does that mean? Man, my plea today is to the preachers and the teachers and the shepherds, don't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Be courageous in doing so. And so far in this text... Paul is telling us, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is what I've lived for you. It is personal experience. Personal experience of his obedience. The apostle Paul knows that obedient life and accurate doctrine both matter. Not just teaching the right stuff, but living the right stuff. But now, he's going to turn and he's going, now, shepherds, this is what you should do. Check it out, verse 28. Keep watch. That's what shepherds do. It makes sense. Keep watch. Keep watch over yourselves. Hmm. And all the look at the look at the language, the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Keep watch. And I'm not skipping over today the fact that he tells us to keep watch in two directions. We keep watch over our why? The very reason we just talked about it. It is not just accurate information that needs to be delivered. It needs to be a life that also delivers such information. Keep watch over yourselves, but keep watch over the flock. And this is the language that leads us to understand this relationship between the church and the shepherds, and I, I want to just simply give it to you today. Some of you have grew up in church, and so you kind of heard this language, but this is the language. The church is like a flock of sheep in need of a shepherd. That's what he says here. Pastors are the shepherds. That's, what he's, that's the instruction that he's giving. And third, shepherds care for the sheep. That's the picture. And I can show you from Scripture, not today because we don't have time to do that, but I can show you that wasn't just the case at Ephesus, but the evidence is there over and over again throughout the New Testament that this was happening in churches all over. 
Now, in the time we got left and in the text that we got left, I want to show you three, three truths from the remainder of this little section that hopefully will explain a little bit more of the why and the how that I seek to shepherd you the way that I do. And because it's scripture, I believe it should be the motive behind every shepherd everywhere. Maybe there's been a time in your life, I would almost bet on it, that um, it, it might have been directed toward me or maybe it was another shepherd in your life and the question was, where is he coming from? What we're about to learn should be part of the answer that he would give. This is a part of what it means to keep watch. It is the view of a shepherd. It is the view of a shepherd. I want you to go back to verse 28 again because there's some stuff we don't want to miss. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, don't miss this, which he bought with his own blood. You know how good that is for you? Here's the view of a shepherd. The view of a shepherd is, first of all, you who are the flock were purchased by Jesus' own blood. That's what we've already celebrated today. Right? When, we, when we observe that Lord's Supper, we are remembering this truth. Those of you who are the flock, you are purchased by Jesus' own blood. That speaks first and foremost to the greatness of God. That's where we should start. A great God who has chosen to pour his love out upon you. That means it also speaks to, to the value of how God sees you. That God would love you enough that it would warrant his own blood. It speaks to the greatness of God. It speaks to the value that he has placed on you. But don't miss this. It also speaks to what you should be doing. And again, if my task is to give you the whole counsel of God, this is where that often leads a shepherd. I have to now ask you a question like this. Are you pursuing with your life the things that Jesus bled to obtain? That's where I got to go. Are you pursuing with your life the things that Jesus bled to obtain? And I'm just going to give you a few of those today. I want you to see what I'm talking about Ephesians chapter 5, for example, speaks this way. Husbands, love your wives. Well, how are we supposed to do that? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, his blood shed for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What did the blood of Jesus purchase for you? It, it leads you to seek a, a, to be clean and to be beautiful before him. 
that he would shed his blood to, to die for our sin, that, that he would shed his blood that we might be forgiven. It, it should create in us this a seeking that I want to be clean. I want my heart to be right before this one who died for me. There's more. Titus. Titus chapter 2. The who here is Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, same theme, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, same language, but he doesn't stop there, eager to do what's good. Like when he shed his blood for you, it is not just to make you clean. It is not just that you would be beautiful before him, but that your life now, a desire, a seeking to do good, a desire to serve others, a desire to, to bless. You got one more, then we'll put them together. Revelation chapter five, because you were slain, that's Jesus, and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. He shed his blood that all could come to him. And when he says all, he, he means all, every people, every tribe, every nation. He, a, 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 an eagerness to, to see believers from every people from all over the world join the flock, join the people of God. This fits the mission that we've been learning in the book of Acts, a nothing to lose approach. Now don't miss what I'm saying here. The question is not just do you do these things sometimes. Like, like yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm really aware of my, of my sin and, and sometimes, yeah, I, I do good things for other people and yes, I know that, that God's desire is that all people come to know him. Even people who don't know Jesus will do good things for other people when they see a need. You get that? Even people that don't want anything to do with Jesus, if they see somebody hurting, they will often help. The question is not just do you do these sometimes, it is how much of your life is centered, focused on these things that Jesus shed his blood for. How much do you pray for these things? How much is your heart consumed regularly with a desire to be clean before the one that shed his blood to make you clean? How much of your prayer is God today, you give me breath, let me bless the people around me, God, help me to do good to those who aren't even seeking it for the purpose that if you put me here, I have a privilege to share with them the greatest news in the whole world that you want all people to come to you. My question is, are you pursuing with your life the things that Jesus bled to obtain? Because last week we found out you can have a moral compass and not be in love with Jesus. You can have a moral compass and not be in love with Jesus. This is the dilemma that a shepherd lives with every day of his life. 
that if these are the things that Jesus bled to obtain, but there are some who don't appear to be walking in those things, what does that mean? What does that mean? See, I'm trying to herd us all toward heaven. I'm trying to herd the whole flock toward heaven. And today, Paul's just giving you an inside glimpse of what happens in the heart of a shepherd when he's looking at the flock and some whose heart don't match what Jesus bled to give them. And the question is, what does that mean? That's why I got to continue to speak to you the whole counsel of God, even the parts you don't like, because they conflict with the life that you may be choosing at the moment. But here's my struggle. Who in the world am I to do that? Because the honest truth is, I don't always get that right either. And sometimes I fail. Who am I to do that? Go back to verse 28, and this is, this is where a shepherd has to stand. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, one more time. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here's the view of a shepherd. You who are the flock were purchased by Jesus' own blood. And I, a shepherd, am chosen by God to shepherd. When I was 20 years old, I was finishing a management degree, working as a supervisor in a bank vault. And I was actually kneeling in front of a, a small vault that was in the big vault. My desk was actually in the big vault. I'm kneeling in front of a small vault inside of the big vault when I knew as clear as day, God say, I want you to run for greater treasure. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying because I believe a person can be a banker. I believe that a person can be a manager and you can run this race that I'm talking about and run it in such a way, you run it to the fullest that, that you, you, you are doing it to the glory of God. I just knew for me at that day, he was saying, I want you to shepherd. I want you to shepherd my people. And I want you to know that sometimes that's what holds me when I fail. It's what holds me when I make mistakes. It's what holds me when most of the time unintentionally I hurt somebody. This is what holds me. God called me. This is what holds me when I find myself stepping into situations that sometimes I feel very inadequate to handle. 
This is what holds me. When I'm looking into the eyes of sheep who are experiencing hurt and pain in their life that they did not directly make a decision to cause. And I can't explain why it's happening to them. This is what holds me when I preach my guts out and the enemy lies to me and says nobody cares. This is what holds me when people make up something untrue about me, when they don't even know what is true about me. I I one time had a, a seminary professor at Midwestern say that the reason that Heart of Life started campuses back in the day, this was a while ago, was because I have an ego. He and I, to this day, have never had one single conversation. He just said it. This is what holds me. This is what holds me when I lose another relationship. Maybe somebody turns away from Jesus. Sometimes it's because somebody dies. Sometimes it's because somebody leaves. Shepherds experience a lot of loss. And people say it's not personal. That's not true. It is personal. It's personal because it's a relationship, and it's personal because there is eternal weight that is attached to it. This is not my hobby, this is more than my job. This is eternal life or eternal death. And I'm linked with people for whom Jesus shed his blood. And sometimes I thought we were linked in that mission that's about life and death. And then they're gone. And it's loss. And it's personal because of love. So, Jeff... Why not quit? I can't. Because he called me to this. And I don't want to quit. For the very same reason that it hurts so much sometimes. Because of love. Jesus loves me. I love him too. And I don't want to stop just because it hurts. People in this flock love me. And I love you too. I love this body. I love this mission. I love that you let me shepherd because some pastors don't ever actually get to lead. People call them and give them a title, but they don't ever actually let them lead. I love that you help me lead because I don't want to lead by myself. I love that you love my family. I love that you provide for us and you let me dedicate my life to this. I love seeing people meet Jesus. I love seeing people experience healing. I love watching so many of you grow in your passion and your action in living out the mission. I'm not going to quit. 
because of Jesus and because of you. And I'm saying this today for what I think is part of the reason that Paul said this a long time ago. He was speaking to leaders, and I am too. There are some shepherds of churches who are hearing me. There are some shepherds of campuses and mission sites. Some of you are shepherds of life teams. Some of you are shepherds of children's classes. And some of you feel some of the very same things that you just heard me talk about. This battle for us is real. And today, in a way, is about pastor appreciation. Every year you guys direct some of that my way. Today I'm declaring it's the pastor who gets to express some appreciation. And I am saying thank you for loving Jesus and thank you to all the shepherds for loving the flock. I know it would be easier not to and just enjoy the show, but this race is worth running. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for shepherding the flock. And then Paul ends this way. One more specific reason from Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The view of a shepherd. First, you who are the flock were purchased by Jesus' own blood. I am chosen by God to shepherd. That's what holds me. But the flock is always in danger. That's what a shepherd looks at all the time. It's not pessimistic. It's the reality of an enemy. There are threats from the outside. There are threats from the inside. The threat can be something like false teaching. The threat can also be that you're not actually obeying true teaching. Threats come from everywhere. A shepherd can't ever walk away and say the flock is safe even after you've taught them the whole counsel of God. Salvation involves perseverance. That means teaching. That means praying. That means caring. And shepherds just don't ever get to stop hurting the flock toward heaven. My commitment to you today is I will keep wording, working and I will keep bleeding. I will keep rejoicing and I will keep weeping. I will keep teaching and inviting and warning. And now, Paul says, verse 32, I commit you to God 
I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and can give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's what Paul knows, and here's what I want you to know. The best news today is that you are held by a shepherd better than me. And his name is Jesus. And the impact of my life is to point you toward him. The impact of my life is to drive the herd toward the good shepherd who is Jesus. You are held by a shepherd better than me. Well, at least he wants to hold you. Are you ready to trust him? Are you ready to trust him? For some of you, God has brought you to this day that you would turn your life toward Jesus on this day and declare that you need him. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead today. He will forgive sin, and he will take you in. There are some of you today, though, that you would say you've done it. But is the evidence there? And I beg you today, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and ask him to change your heart. Turn to Jesus and ask him to give you faith to follow. Today, are you ready? Let's pray. God, I ask you to give us strength. God, all who shepherd, pastors of churches, of mission sites, of life teams, classrooms, of families. God, that you might hold us to the view of the shepherd. And you will give us faith to keep fighting and to keep hurting those to whom you have entrusted us to keep watch. God, that we will keep hurting toward you. God, I pray today for all who need to trust you. Maybe some for the first time. God, maybe some who need to fall on their knees and ask God that you will forgive. God, ask that you will transform hearts. God, I pray for those today who would claim that they belong to you, but the evidence is not there. God, will you open eyes God, will you open our heart and will you make us run to you? Because even now, you have given up. Even now, you call us to you. 
God, today I pray that hearts will know there is a race that is so worth living that we would rather run this race and die than not run it and say we lived. God, this is a race that leads to your love that is better than life. May we, your church, truly know that truth of your love. God, may we truly be the people that you have redeemed. God, may we be by your grace. It's in the name of Jesus I thank you today.